Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Welcome into episode number 43 of the Leaning into Leadership podcast. My guest today on the show is Caitlin Giordano. Who is Caitlin Giordano, you might be wondering. Well, let me tell you, folks. Caitlin is a mid-level language arts and social studies educator and is the co-author of the new book, Poking the Bear, a guide for engaging in the conversations that matter most. Caitlin is a dynamic educator who is passionate about student voice and empowerment, promoting equity, and valuing teachers as professionals. It is her belief that what we teach goes far beyond content. We are teaching our students to become active members of their society who have a positive impact on the world. Caitlin has presented at various state and national conferences on assessment and grading practices, language arts instruction, social-emotional learning, and equitable teaching practices. She's also been a contributor to multiple books, including The New Teacher's Guide to Overcoming Common Challenges and 100 No-Nonsense Things That All Teachers Should Stop Doing. Caitlin is a phenomenal human being, a phenomenal educator, and has an incredible story to share with you today. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But first, this word from Road to Awesome. Leaders, your educators deserve to have a leader who believes in them, who supports them, and who lifts them up when they're down. Right now, they deserve that reminder that they are traveling their own road to awesome. On that road to awesome, we focus on the things we can control and we let go of the things we can't. On that road to awesome, we rise by lifting others, not by pushing each other down. And on that road to awesome, we change the world one conversation at a time. Leaders, I want to work with your schools. I want to work with you and your educators to lift them up, to honor the work they do, and to let them know they are not in this alone. Let's get together. Let's have a conversation. Let's get your teachers back on that road to awesome, to find that love, to find that clarity, and to walk in their purpose. Reach out to us at roadtoawesome.net for your opportunity to bring Road to Awesome to your school. And now let's jump right into that conversation with Caitlin Giordano. I know you're going to love this. Get your pencils ready. Take some notes, folks. I'll see you on the other side. All right, Caitlin, welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast. I am so thrilled to have an opportunity to visit with you. Uh, how you doing today? I am so great and very excited to be here and to talk to you today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, flat, I'm glad we finally get that opportunity to connect and to have a conversation. Um, you know, we were talking about that before we hit the record button about, you know, like, like with so many of the relationships we have with people now, you know, connected through social media, but rarely actually get a chance to uh, to actually talk. So I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, just just really quick, Caitlin, if you would, for my listeners who maybe don't know who you are, just the elevator version of who you are, where you're coming from, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, for sure. So my name is Caitlin Giordano. I am a middle school English language arts and now social studies teacher. Um, I teach in the suburbs of Chicago, very close to the city. And I've done a ton of different things in my career so far, but my favorite things to talk about in education are grading, assessment, equity, and having really hard conversations that challenge us to be better, not just educators, but better people. I think that's awesome. I, I was telling you just before we hit record that actually I taught middle school as well. Not a lot of people <laughs> know that. Um, sometimes I say I served five years at the middle school level. Um, absolutely <laughs> loved middle school. I mean, I, I went on to I went on to teach high school. I really did. But man, my first five years, I taught middle school science, and oh my gosh, middle school is just magical. I mean, it is just. Oh, I'll bet you just come home completely exhausted and leave every morning just completely energized and ready to rock and roll with those sixth graders. Well, you have to in middle school. I'm not going to lie. Like middle school is wild. Um, yeah. There are days when I feel like, okay, like that was good. Everybody knew what we were doing. We all found everything we needed to find. And then there are days when someone's like, I don't have a pencil and I don't know where to find one and where's my locker and who is my teacher? And you're just like, okay, these, these two days happen next to each other. What ha what happened? Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you probably have some pretty amazing stories from, from middle school. Just let's just do this. So uh, hopefully this is like as close to normal as a year can be at this point in time. So just really quick, one or two things from this first quarter, or almost a quarter of the school year uh, that you're into, or maybe five weeks, whatever, you know, so parent conferences, I'm sure are coming soon. What, what's like one story that you just have told over and over? Cause you just, yeah, see you're laughing already that you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. So I have a brand new classroom this year and my classroom has a garage door in it. Now, Everyone who's seen it is like, that's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. But I teach sixth grade. So like the cool part of it is also <laughs> along with a lot of like, okay, when the garage door is do going down, we do not like try to run and slide underneath it. Like that's not how that's going to go. Or like when the garage door is going down, we don't slide our water bottle underneath it to see if we can prop it open. Like those are not things that we're doing. So so you're saying sixth grade boys and a garage door probably weren't a good combination. No, horrible, horrible mixture of things because both of those things have happened and not just once. Like I bet. it is it is a thing and the the automatic we have like the little sensors on there so like if someone like passes the sensor and it's going down it'll shoot right back up and so the number of times the garage door is closing and i've got a kid just come and run right through it just take a leap and this kid looks at me this happened literally today so a kid like comes running because he's late and he's trying to run under the garage door as it's going down and he tries to hop over where the sensor is <laughs> as the garage door is coming down. And I was like, oh, my God, kid. Like, no. Like, first of all, the sensor is there so the garage door doesn't close on you. Like, that's the point. And second of all, the classroom has a door. 
Like you can walk around. <laughs> you don't have to go through the garage door. But not if there's a garage door. I mean, I'm sure yeah. they don't even know that door exists. Oh my God. Literally today, the kid was like, I didn't know there was a door here. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. I, I, I got to dig deeper on this because actually I saw I saw a picture, I think either you shared it or it's on your website or whatever, of the garage door in your classroom. So I'm so glad that you went there. Um, what gives? What, how, how do you end up? I mean, I would have loved, I taught science. I would have loved to have a garage door, or at least I think that, but you've given a lot of reasons why, but how did that come about? I truly do not understand like who designed it. I would, I have questions. Um, I truly have questions because it's glass first of all. So like closing it, like there's a hallway right out there. So like when it's closed and there's kids in the hallway, we can all see them. So like there's kids walking by like dancing, like middle schoolers do. And like my class is turned around watching the dancing versus like what we're doing. And so I I have a lot of questions for the garage door. It looks really cool, but like I have a lot of questions. I just think that's fantastic. I, I I'm gonna have to find a way to end up at your school. I just gotta I gotta come see the garage door. Heck, I gotta come dance outside the garage door, you know, during your class too. I mean just Please do. Yeah. I'll play some music. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm I am totally on board with that. So let's let's maybe shift a little bit um, into into what happens inside that room besides the garage door. So um, you said you've been teaching sixth grade language arts. Now you've also got social studies in there too. I think I know where that's taken us, but but talk a little bit about teaching both of those subjects and what does that look like in your classroom. Yeah, so I have been really fortunate. I've been teaching um, language arts for seven years of my career, so that's been great. And the biggest thing that's been wonderful has uh, been that I teach a block class. So I don't have my kids for just one 45-minute class period. I actually get them for two. Um, And so teaching language arts that way has been such a gift and one that I fully admit that I definitely that double period and so it's it's such a wonderful situation to have because you can really do so much with the kids and there's so much room for spending time with independent reading or giving them time for free writing that can help them develop that that just base writing stamina or endurance that so many of them need um so i definitely feel like that's been hugely valuable And then for the last three years, I've had one class period of social studies. And I will say that I actually love it. Um, Having a second prep isn't the best thing in the world, especially when you don't get that extra plan time for it. But the difference between teaching a subject that is so highly focused on and kind of nitpicked a lot of the time because it's tested nationwide um, with English is... There's a lot of pressure involved with that. And there's a lot of a lot of adherence to different guidelines that we have to stick to. But social studies isn't like that. Um, And so social studies has been really fun for me to teach because we teach um, ancient civ. So it's kind of like a really fun class that I get to teach because it's not one that is tested. It's not one that is hugely there's not a lot of pressure with it. It's more of one where we can really explore 
like what it is to learn about something and have so many questions and really engage in discussions and, and exploring different things because we don't have that that pressure to, to do well on an exam or to prove that we've mastered something at a specific level because we have to, because our state right. says so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I'm sure in that situation, you're not um, looking at data, you know, from last year's kids compared to this year's kids. So the apples and oranges conversation, you don't really have to get into that. It's more, you know, here's this opportunity. Ancient civilizations, I think, would be an absolute blast to teach, by the way. And I'm not a social studies guy, but I think that would be that's got to be just so much fun. I'm wondering, I mean, are there opportunities? Granted, you have multiple sections of one and just the one of the other. Are there some opportunities where there's some crossovers, some some kind of some project based type of stuff? I mean, what what are you able to do with that? There's so much. So um, in the past couple of years, I have some kids that I'll have for both English and social studies. And that's usually such a treat because you can do a lot of crossover. Um, but the cool thing with social studies and having that that English background too is if you have ever looked at the social studies standards, um, they're basically language arts standards. <laughs> um, right, exactly. there's, there's, yeah. That's pretty much what they are. So when we're building like units or activities or explorations or projects, a lot of the focus is on skills that I'm also teaching in my English class. We're just doing it with a particular topic or we're doing it with something that um, really focuses on the past and then we can like bring that conversation into the future. So it allows us to do a lot more project-based things that um, the kids are, I think, more well-equipped to do because of the way we teach our English classes too. So when we talk to them about creating like a presentation that they're going to give to the class and they can use whatever media they want, they have background from our English classes or from my English class to be like, okay, well, I've worked with podcasts. I've worked with live presentations or TED Talks. I've worked with like creating like a magazine that people can flip through at their own leisure. Like that is such a cool opportunity because they have that skill. They understand how media works and then they can use it in like my social studies class to present about something. I love that. I think that's just super cool. I mean, the more opportunity we can, it, I, I know we're going to get into conversations about you and, and Dave Schmidow here here in just a couple of minutes, but um, Schmidow and I've talked about this quite a bit, and I actually just had him on the podcast here not too, not too far back, um, but you kept hitting something that I think is just so critical and that's skills, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, specific content or, or that kind of thing. It's all about skills. I mean, that's, that's where we're trying to go, which leads me into kind of my next question. You, you mentioned in your introduction that uh, at least I think you did, or maybe you just told me this before we hit record, but not only are you, you know, teaching in the classroom, but that you also have this leadership role within your district at the curriculum level. So, Let's let's talk about that a little bit based on what you just said. So I'm certain that your curriculum lead role is in language arts, not in social studies. What, <laughs> yes. what are those conversations like? Because now, I mean, you, first of all, you get to teach both. But second, I'm coming back to it. You said skills. Uh, you didn't just talk about content. You didn't just talk about a certain book. You didn't you didn't just talk about the Odyssey, you know, so I don't I think I read that one in eighth grade. I don't know. I, I can't remember what, what, what the sixth grade target is. But but anyway, my point is this. 
Um, talk a little bit about how now in that curriculum lead role, you're able to take what you're doing, learning in this other space and take that back to a group. Yeah. So um, skills-based learning, competency-based education, whatever you want to call it, is probably one of the things that I'm most passionate about. Um, that is why I love curriculum the way that I do, because I think that if we build curriculum that is based on developing skill competencies, that we are truly developing kiddos and we are helping them learn things that they need. Your class becomes less about a transaction. I'm going to do this so I can get this many points in return, or I can get this star, or I can get a unicorn or whatever you want to give them. It becomes about Are you I giving away unicorns in your classroom all the time. So many unicorns. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just I couldn't pass. Oh, that you're on. fine. That is, I give away unicorns frequently. Um, but when you when you shift away from that kind of transactional learning and towards something that is based on skills and competency, you are developing kids. You are helping kids develop skills that they will then use, not just in my social studies class, not just in their science classes, not just in math, but in their lives. Like I teach what I believe is one of the most core subjects that we all need. And it's not just because I teach it (laughs) that I think that, it's truly because we communicate with people through the language arts. That is literally how we communicate. It's how we communicate the things that are important to us. It's how we share our ideas with people, whether we're doing that verbally, whether we're doing that in writing. It's how we communicate with the people and how we engage with the world around us. And so because of that, like I firmly believe that what I'm teaching kids goes so much farther than just this is my classroom. This is the book that I want to teach them. So I love that you brought up the Odyssey um, because (laughs) these are the things that like, they get me, they get me going. And like Dave always laughs because there are certain things that I get really fired up about and teaching specific novels at specific grade levels is one of them. I swear to God, every seventh grader in the world reads The Outsiders. And I don't know why, because I don't I don't know why every single 13 year old needs to read this book, because I'll be honest with you. When I read that book at 13, I was like, what is this? Like, I don't like this is dumb. Why am I reading this? And then I read it again at 17 and was like, oh, oh, that's what this is. And it meant something to me when I picked it up on my own. And when I decided to read it, when I was at a place in my life that it was actually like meaningful to me. And so rather than being like, okay, every single kid's going to read the Odyssey, I don't know why we're not teaching our kids to develop rich and engaging reading lives and why we're not helping our kids understand who they are as readers and helping them access texts that they choose in a way that works for them. That's like... And giving them the skills that they need to access those texts. So I totally went off on a tangent there. But no, I'm glad you did, though. (laughs) I'm really glad you did, though, because it actually it brought back something, you know, that that I had filed away deep in the memory. So one of my two assistant principal roles um, at the high school level, uh, I was in charge of curriculum instruction, curriculum instruction, special programs, you name it, I had it. Um, One of the elements that 
I got to do was build the master schedule, which, by the way, I love master scheduling. I'm a super big nerd when it comes to master scheduling. Uh, actually working, uh, well, coaching a handful of principals, and I walked into one of their assistant principals' offices and saw the master schedule, and I was just like, oh, my God. Um, anyway, I love the big board, but my point is this. I, I love that you brought up that we shouldn't be teaching specific novels always at you know at certain grade levels because I think it was 10th grade. But the way we put our sophomore English classes on the board, one of them had a J for Julius Caesar, and one had, I honestly can't remember what the other one was, but it was like, this semester is Julius Caesar, and this semester is, I don't even remember what it was. So like if a kid didn't, you know, pass one of the semesters, oh, I know, yeah, folks, you can't see her, but Caitlin's about to bite a hole in her face. Um Sorry. Yeah, that's what we did. Oh my gosh, it's all right. No worries. Um, I'm I'm happy to do play by play. the <laughs> The reason I bring it up was that was like one of my big challenges in that role was like, why? Why does it have to be that way? What What, what is seriously? Who cares? And I I know I ruffled some feathers. I might ruffle feathers by saying this right now. Who cares if a kid reads Julius Caesar? I mean, are there some great elements there of course there are is it you know a classic work yes of course it is but is every kid developmentally ready to read and understand julius caesar as a sophomore in high school or like you said the outsiders this is how old i am i actually saw the outsiders movie before i read the book it was it was released the same year of whatever year it was i think i was i think i was a sophomore when i read it maybe maybe i was were you in seventh grade um, actually, no, I wasn't. I think I was in high school. So apparently in Wyoming, we do things a little bit later on than everybody else, which is probably true for many, many, many reasons. But um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I actually saw the movie before. And so the struggle then for me is I'm like, okay, now which one of these is Ralph Macchio and, and which one is, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't keep up with, with which character was which. So, But I read it again much later and like you, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. But at whatever age I was, yeah, it, I agree with you. So that, that's, you know what, I went off on an did? even further tangent. So go, yeah, that's go okay. for it. You, you weren't ruffling feathers. You were, uh, you were poking the bear with that. I was poking the bear. That's a great transition. It's like, it's like I set you up for that. <laughs> we, by the way, when, when I left that school, there were no J's and C. I don't remember whatever the other letter was, but no more of that. It was, yeah, this is what we do. And anyway, this that's, is, that's a whole that's, other story. That's my aim in being the curriculum lead for English. So that's been my repeated question over and over and over again. So it came from the fact that I moved into my district that I'm currently in right now um, three years ago. And when I got there, I was coming from a district that was incredibly progressive, very innovative, and did some really, really cool things. And so I walked in and I was like, okay, where is our curriculum map? And I got a lot of confused looks and I was like, Okay, that's fine. I'll go find it. Where's our scope and sequence for the year, like of what skills we teach, what units we teach? And I got another confused look and eventually got a Google Doc with a bunch of links of to slideshows on it. And I was like, okay, but like, what am I teaching? Like, I've been teaching sixth grade English for, for a hot second here. And I know what skills are, there are. But like, I don't know how you do it here. So what? when am I teaching which ones? And 
that entire experience kind of led me into this position because now I get to I get to talk with other other people at different grade levels and at other schools in our district and ask the questions like, okay, you all teach this book. Are you teaching the book or are you teaching skills? Because I want to know what you're teaching with the book. You're not teaching the book. You're teaching some kind of skill that I, that's what I care about. That's what I want to hear. And so this has been, it's, it's a shift that we're making now and it's, it's a positive one, but it's definitely a different way of thinking. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it goes back to the old question, you know, what do you teach? Oh, I teach sixth grade. No, you don't. You teach kids, um, you know, or, or whatever. So, um, I just, I love that you're, that you're leading that work and really pushing in that direction because it's, to me, it's just so critical that, that we move away from, well, we've always taught, um, whatever, you know, um, again, I was, I was a science teacher, primarily life science. My, my middle school experience was actually physical science, but, you know, first as a teacher, a biology teacher, and then as, as a assistant principal and a principal, I mean, we taught cell theory like six times, like, okay, what what is wrong with us? I mean, if they're not getting it, clearly we're doing something wrong or they're, they just don't care. I mean, why, why do we have to do this? I mean, I, I had a group of teachers that I'm really going off tangent here, but I had a group of teachers that, you know, wanted to use the first quarter for review. I'm like, why? We're wasting an entire quarter of the school year. Let's just figure out where they are and get going. Um, you know, I mean, that's, I think those are among the different shifts that are, that are taking place or have taken place or certainly should have taken place in terms of curriculum, you know, and, and in terms of the, the, you know, the actual art of teaching, let's, let's not just say, okay, well, the curriculum map says that, you know, I'm supposed to do cell theory for three weeks. If your kids knew, know it, move on, quit wasting their time, quit wasting your time. All you're doing is creating kids who slide under glass doors and roll, you know, <laughs> bottles under glass doors because they're bored. So, sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself on that. Yeah, I love it. Exactly. It's the thing. Yeah. The thing. Yeah. So the whole thing is all about like poking the bear, which is a book that you and Dave Schmidt just released. Let's talk a little bit about poking the bear, um, a guide to uh, engaging in the conversations that matter most. Um, first off, it's got to be a blast working with Dave Schmidt. Uh, I mean, just one of my favorite people, one of the funniest people I know. Um, and honestly, he I don't think he'll have a problem with me saying this, one of the most opinionated people I know. And I love that he owns his opinions. So what was it like working with Dave on this project? So it was fantastic. Um, I am the number one Dave Schmidt fan in the whole world. Um, and I hope he hears me say that because it's true. Um, I seriously can't believe that like I get to have my name on a book with him forever because that's pretty amazing. Um, Dave is one of those people. He is incredibly opinionated. But the thing that I love about Dave and the reason why I think him and I were so so such a good team in this is that both of us are opinionated, but we're also very, very willing to listen to people who disagree with us. Our opinion is not the be all end all. And 
it's interesting because one of the things that both of us were so afraid of when we wrote this book and when we were like, okay, like we're publishing this, this is real, is that the things that we wrote in the book, we might change our minds about. Because Dave and I are as opinionated as we are. And as much as we own our opinions, we're also huge proponents of the fact that when you learn more, it's absolutely 100% okay and good to change what you believe when you know something more. It's not flip-flopping. It's not whatever the news wants to tell you it is. It's learning more and changing your mind based on new information. Like before I thought this, then I learned this. So now I know that's literally a protocol that people use in learning. And Dave and I fully 1000% stand behind it. And so working with him on a project like this was so exciting and so interesting because we had to be really careful not to talk about our opinions before the other person wrote um, because we were both so afraid that if we did that, that we would just echo everything the other person said because they were going to yeah. have such good information that we'd be like, oh, yeah, like, I think that now. Never mind. I can imagine that the conversation's just coming together around a topic. So, so I mean, uh, do politics belong in education? You, you, that was one of the ones that you shared with me. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that Dave wrote his opinion, you wrote yours, and it's not like you guys waited until the book came out to read what each other's opinions were like. What were the conversations like, whether it's that one or I mean, pick one, that you know just sparked you know, some type of conversation? What was that like for the two of you? It was such a powerful experience for, I think, both of us, but I'll speak for myself. I grew so much as, a, as an educator, but also as a person from the process of writing this book because you have to learn to engage with people in ways that are not combative. And there were certain things that Dave wrote where I was like, what the hell, man? Like, you can't think that. <laughs> like, that's not right. And like, I had to be like, okay, like, no. Ask him why he thinks that. And then really like challenging myself to do what we are advocating for people to do when they read this book, but go into a conversation with an open mind and truly listen to the other person, not to respond to them and try to get them to agree with you, but listen to understand them and to understand why they believe what they believe and where they're coming from because we do all bring such different perspectives to things. There's so many different perspectives to have based on your experiences, based on what you've what you've lived through, based on who you are, your identity, that it's so interesting to be able to hear other people's. And when you're listening to understand them and where they're coming from, you learn a lot. Even if you don't end up agreeing with them, even if you don't convince them. I hate that word because I don't think we should enter into conversations to convince people of things. But you you grow because you you learn something new. Your opinion takes shape in a new way. And you get to continue to form what you believe about something. Two super powerful things right there. Um, number one, if 
if as a society we would enter into conversation to learn and to grow more so than simply listening to prove someone wrong or you know to find the 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 element in their argument that you're going to just rip apart what a great world this would be if if we all took that particular tack on conversations unfortunately that just does not happen very often um anywhere from washington dc to two parents at a baseball game i mean it, it can it can you know be you know all across there um I'm not going to chase that one too far, but to me, that's such a super powerful thing that you said there. I mean, we, we could go off on like a 45 minute tangent right there. Um, I, mean, I yeah, I'm not going to chase it. I'm so close to chasing, <laughs> but I'm not going to chase it. Um, but I just love that you said it. It's so powerful. You know, if, if we just go into conversations to listen, to understand whether our opinion changes or not, isn't really the relevant piece. It's, can I learn from this person's opinion you know even if it's just learning why they why they think that way you know that's, that's it's hard we all it is and that's and that's the piece that like I don't want to minimize because it's hard like and that was one of the things that I feel like I grew so much because that experience I'm not like better at it now because like I wrote this book with Dave like I'm not better yeah. at when somebody says something that like I feel a lot about, like my emotions are still there. My reaction initially is still like, what is wrong with you? How could you possibly <laughs> think that? Like that is still my initial reaction. But what does get easier is your ability to take a step back and be like, okay, yes, I feel emotional about this. Like. I'm having an emotional reaction to this. So like, number one, is this the right time to engage in this conversation? If I'm that angry about it, that worked up about it, like probably not, (laughs) not a good time. But number two, like I really need to be able to shelve that for a moment because this person might have experienced something that I don't know anything about that I should know about because I could learn something different from this. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do by any means, but it's, it's the thing that I've loved about working with Dave on this book, because like, obviously we're both very different people. Like he is been in education for so much longer than I have. He is been in like very high up leadership roles in education. He's a man. I am not, I have not been in education as long as he has. I have not had like high up leadership roles in admin. I'm a female and our experiences are wholly different. And so there were certain issues where I was like, Dave, you've got to think about this differently. And then there were certain issues where he was like, Caitlin, you're thinking about this like a teacher. You need to stop looking at it like a teacher because that's not what this issue is about. We will return to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast in just a moment. But first, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said to yourself, man, I should write a book? Well, if you have, then let me ask you another question. What's holding you back? What keeps you from taking the step that moves you from, I have an idea about a book, to I am a published author? From experience, I would bet it's probably you're wondering who would even want to read a book that I wrote. Maybe you're questioning the idea. Is it unique enough? Is it valid enough? Is it good enough? 
to be a book worthy of having published. Hey, as a best-selling author myself, I can tell you, most writers have had the exact same feelings at some point in time during their writing journey. Here at Road to Awesome, we believe in cultivating leaders by elevating voices and promoting positivity. And a part of that work is publishing books for educators by educators. Go to roadtoawesome.net and hit the Contact Us button to set up a free, no-obligation conversation about your book idea. Hey, educators, we've all had incredible experiences. We all have amazing stories, and every one of them deserves to be told. Go to roadtoawesome.net, hit the Contact Us button. Let's have that conversation about your book idea. And now, back to the Leaning into Leadership podcast. It's so powerful to have somebody that you can talk to like that and that you can almost like, I I hesitate to use the word practice, but that you can like practice this skill with because it's so hard to develop and it's so hard to do, (laughs) but the more you do it, it doesn't get easier, but you get more comfortable being uncomfortable. I love that. The, the, The second powerful piece that I was thinking of, you just without going there, you really galvanized in my mind. And I'm going to loop it back to skills-based education in your classroom. Is this something you're working toward having happen in your classroom? Can you have, can you build, let I me, mean, let's talk about sixth graders. Can you build those skills in sixth graders right now? Yes. Okay. So I really love that you went there because this is like one of the things that I've been working on and developing with my sixth graders. Um, We do it a little bit in social studies. We have like um, current event Wednesdays. So we talk about like current events. We watch news headlines and then we connect them to our identities. We make identity webs at the beginning of the year, the things that make us who we are, the roles we inhabit, the things that have shaped us. And then we talk about how the news um, might be different for us or we might experience it differently based on our identities. And then we have conversations about it in my social studies class. Um, But where it really gets cool and where we really practice this skill is in my English class. Um, So we do article of the week. A bunch of people know what that is. Kelly Gallagher started it many years ago. It is a wonderful way to bring nonfiction reading into your classroom in a really thoughtful, powerful way. But the idea behind it is that every week students get an article. The articles are typically timely, but there's some evergreen ones you can definitely utilize as well. And they have to read and annotate the article. So you're working on those close reading skills. But then they also write a response. And the responses that I usually do are ones that encourage students to share their thoughts or opinions about whatever the article was about. So we read articles about climate change. We read articles about local elections. We read articles about things that are happening in our world. And then the kids have to construct a written response practicing those writing skills too, um, about how they they feel about it, what they think about it, what their opinion is about it. And then every Friday, we have a discussion. And the discussion is 45 minutes long. I use one whole class period to do this, which is another benefit of my block. But we sit in a circle, they sit and they look at each other and they share their opinions. They ask each other questions. We've gotten into debates where kids are explaining why they agree or disagree. They have to back up what they think 
with evidence that they find. So it's incredibly powerful to see 11 year olds and 12 year olds engage in civil conversations with one another about really hot button issues because you're setting up protocols that it's it's not required but they learn that like okay if i'm going to disagree with this person there's a way to do it that isn't looking at them and calling them an idiot there's a way to do it that says <laughs> i don't agree with you because here's what i know have experienced found etc and then really pushing them to keep that conversation going so anybody that's interested in learning more about this like i should probably write about it but it's one of the most powerful things that I've ever done in my classroom. The kids love it. They absolutely love it. And it is such an interesting thing to just witness because I don't even sit in the circle. I sit outside of the circle. I have my computer up so that they don't think I'm really listening. Um, and they carry the entire conversation because I don't want to poison the well, so to speak, by yeah. being a part of it. I want them to actually have that that conversation with each other and engage with one another in a meaningful way that if I inserted myself would probably not happen. I think that's outstanding. It's it, At some point in time, make sure that you're videoing some of this kind of stuff so you're able to share that out because there's just so much power in that. When when students have the opportunity to to share their opinions and when, when you build those protocols around it so that they're really clear on how it works, you know, they'll they'll fall outside of the protocol occasionally, but then you'll learn that, I'm sure you see this in your classroom too, that other kids begin to pull them back into that protocol. I mean, that it just becomes great leadership for kids in the classroom. So I think that's absolutely awesome. I want, I want to bounce back to the book uh, just a little bit before we start to head towards, towards wrapping up. You mentioned to me before, um, there's a, a whole bunch of different topics in there that you and Dave each share your own opinions on. You leave a little space for people to kind of write, you leave a little space for, you know, for them, you know, what, what else did you learn about it? What are maybe like one or two of those topics that just really stand out in your mind or like really maybe your favorites or the ones that spark the hottest conversation between you and Dave <laughs> something like that share share one or two things from from the book yeah so I have a couple that I'll share that are they're my favorites but for different reasons so my very favorite one I think to write was um whose version of the real world are we preparing kids for? And that one was just my favorite one to write because I'm a sucker for language. I'm an English teacher, <laughs> but semantics are my bread and butter. And I cannot stand when people say that we're preparing kids for the real world. It is one of my pet peeves when we use that phrasing. And so that chapter for me was probably my favorite one to write. Um, the one that was, I think, most powerful to write, we have a whole section on equity. And every single one of those questions that we asked, does all really mean all? Do families matter? Um, who has the power in schools? Do kids need a dress code? All of those questions were really difficult to get down and were really difficult for me to think through and then articulate how I felt about them and what my opinion really was. So 
those that section was my favorite because it inspired so much growth and so much learning on my part. I did, I think, more research for that section than for any of the other sections combined, just because I wanted to make sure that what I was saying was well-founded and actually had data that I was pulling from and wasn't just something that I had heard. And in doing that research, I really feel like I learned things that I had no idea about. And not only did my opinion change, but it developed so clearly for me through that process. And is something that I would definitely recommend people do if you're curious about any of those questions. <laughs> Lots of research, folks. But uh, my favorite one of all, number one, most favorite of all of them is the very last one. And it's called, Why Does It All Matter? And that one is my favorite. I really pushed for it to be last because it really talks about education as a system and as an institution and why it's our responsibility as the people who perpetuate that system and that institution to change it. It's not just an obligation we have because somebody has decided it's another thing we have to do. I would contend that it's the most important thing for us to do because every single system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. And I think that almost everyone who works in education would be would be willing and would very clearly say that we're probably not getting the results that we want the way that we are right now. And so instead of looking at those results and continually having the conversations about how we can change the results, we need to remember that our system is designed to get those results. And so instead of saying, how can we change the results? We need to be asking, how can we change the system? And then actually doing things to change it. Because that's the last piece of it that I get really, really fired up about. We have a lot of conversations about theory and philosophy, but we don't have a lot of conversations about action. And what am I going to go do to change things? So that chapter is just my favorite because it's the best one. <laughs> well, if that, if that doesn't make uh, people want to go and buy the book, I don't know what will. I mean, that's, that is just absolutely powerful stuff. I just love that so, so very much. And, you know, anybody who doesn't believe that teachers can be, can be incredible leaders in the educational space, well, if you, didn't, if you just listen to Caitlin, 100% teachers absolutely can be incredibly powerful leaders in the educational space. And Caitlin's a perfect example of that. So that you say that to set up this next question, our final question. Well, not really our final question. I mean, we've kind of got the whole, you know, how do they get a hold of you? But the final real question here on the podcast, I ask everybody the same question. So, Caitlin, how right now are you leaning into leadership? So I saw this question on your pre-show interview and I was like, okay, this is a fantastic question because, and I love that, that you asked me to be on your podcast because I am not someone who's had a lot of formal titled, as I like to call them, leadership roles. My very first one has been this curriculum position that I have in my district, but that does not mean that I am not a leader in the educational space. And 
that teachers who don't have titled roles aren't leaders in the educational space because we all 1 million percent are and need to be. And so personally, the things that I'm doing this year, specifically, I have some goals for myself. So my first goal for myself is to be patient. I am not a patient person. I really want change to happen and I really want it to happen yesterday. And so my first goal that I'm doing to lean into being a leader is to be patient with people because not everybody is at the place that I am at and that is 100% okay and it should be that way. We're not all gonna be at the same place all the time. And so I am leaning into that aspect of leadership, that patience of, Yes, we can still move forward, but it doesn't have to be at lightning speed. And the second thing that I'm doing is I'm trying to voice my opinions more clearly, more often, and more respectfully. Um, As I said before, I have a tendency to get hot and fired up about things real quick. Um, And my emotions tend to be the forefront. They are the leader in any conversation. And so I've been better about taking a step back and and telling myself like, okay, no, like you need to not reply that way or respond that way. Like take that moment, take a beat. But then it can be kind of a tempting trap to be like, okay, well then I'm just not going to say anything. And that's not the answer either. And so my second thing that I'm working on this year is voicing that opinion in the, in that time like but really trying to push my emotions to the back of it and voicing it in a way that's clear and that's respectful but that also says what what my opinion is in that moment and not like shelving it for never that's outstanding so how how then do people get a copy of the book how do they get in touch with Caitlin? How do they continue this conversation if they really want to hear more from you? Okay, so people, I love to talk about things. So please reach out to me on any form of social media at KN Giordano, spelled like my last name. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, if you go there. I created a TikTok, but I'm really bad at it. So we're working on that. Um, <laughs> Reach out to me on social media and talk. Like, if you are interested in having conversations about any of this stuff, if you need your own Dave Schmidow, like I had, who's going to be your practice person to have these conversations, I volunteer. I will 1000% do it. Um, and then you can pick up a copy of the book at Amazon. You can find it there. Um, you can also find it at, at Barnes and Noble. I found out the other day. It's not like in the stores, but it's on their website, which I thought was really nice. cool. Um, very exciting moment for me. But grab a copy of Poking the Bear and then really do like share your thoughts in there. Write down what you think. Like there are blank pages ready for you after you read Dave and I's opinions about things for you to share yours. Our opinions are not meant to be like the, okay, I've read your opinion. Everything you said is great. Like ditto done. Our opinions are there to show two really different perspectives on things so that you can have that launch pad to say, okay, there's aspects of this this statement that I don't agree with, or there's aspects of this opinion that are strong and I do agree with them, but then there's other pieces that like I feel like need to be developed more. That's the aim of the book, and it's more, enga- it's more interactive than just sit and read. Um, so yeah, reach out to us. We are also recording on Dave's podcast like once a week, different topics, um, either from the book or just other questions that 
we might have come up with that we didn't put in the book but still want to talk about um so you can also listen to dave and i talk to each other and also get in arguments on his podcast lasting learning (laughs) sounds outstanding i will make sure everything is linked in the show notes so folks you can catch up with caitlin catch up with dave catch up with the lasting learning podcast a fantastic podcast um Dave had the, you know, misfortune of having me on there one time and we had a heck of a good time. Or maybe I've been on there twice. I can't remember. But anyway, um, I'll make sure everything is linked on there. Caitlin, thank you just so, so very much for for being on the podcast today. I love this interview. This was so much fun. Um, I just really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. It was amazing to be here. Um, If you want to come on Dave's podcast again and debate with both of us, you just let us know. We're looking for people to come talk to us about stuff. Bring it on. I'm happy to have some of these conversations. Just some of the, I, I want to come on and just simply talk about the adult dress code and the student dress code. Just that one alone. When you brought that up, I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. I've okay. got opinions on that one. So there it's we go. happening. Right on. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Thank you. Every week that goes by and I have new conversations with people here on the podcast, I just continue to be uplifted and just inspired by the words that they bring into the microphone and into our ears because it just gives you hope and it makes you really believe in education as we move forward. Caitlin Giordano is absolutely one of those people who really inspires hope and makes you believe that the current generation of teachers not only cares deeply about their kids, but they care deeply about their profession. And I'm grateful for Caitlin. I'm grateful to have the the relationship with Caitlin and had an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with her. Make sure you go out, uh, purchase a copy of Poking the Bear. It's a wonderful book. Her co-author is Dr. Dave Schmidow, who is also a friend of the show, has been a guest on here before, and uh, definitely a fantastic book. Make sure that you grab a copy of that. And now it's time for your pep talk. Earlier this week, I had a conversation with a group of educational leaders, and we began with the conversation being around how instructional coaches are utilized, how they're deployed, and how their time is best spent in the efforts to support teachers in the classroom. But the conversation meandered its way to where we were talking about the role of the principal as the instructional leader. Dr. Dan Krinas brought up a point, and Dan is the host of the Leader of Learning podcast and soon to be a guest here on Leaning Into Leadership, but he brought up a point about a video that he had done specifically that stated principals are not instructional leaders. And it made me sit up. It made me go, whoa, 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 hold on here. How can you say that principals are not instructional leaders? Now watch the video. I did link it in the podcast notes so you can check it out. It's also in this week's blog post. But what Dr. Krenis is saying is not that principals aren't instructional leaders, but because of the time constraints that go into the work they do each and every day, all the different directions that they get pulled, that it's next to impossible for principals to be instructional leaders. Now, I differ a little bit in that opinion, not that there aren't incredible pressures and incredible strains on the time for our principals. The question is, and how I feel about it, is do we prioritize our time for where it needs to be spent? And I will tell you, for me, especially early on as a principal, I struggled with managing my time. I got just completely drowned in the administrivia and the paperwork. I get it. Principals, I've been there and I've done that. I've lived it. But I'm telling you, there's a better way. 
And part of that better way is to take control of your time. If it's important, if it's a priority, put it on your calendar. Make sure that those people who are around you know that it's a priority. Make sure they know it's sacred and that you won't be interrupted and pulled away from those times in the classroom over small things. Little disciplinary issues can wait. An angry parent can wait. Now, building on fire, some of those real tragic situations, yes, you need to be pulled out. Have a strategy. Work with your secretary. If you have assistant principals, work with them so that you can develop that strategy. So only in the most important moments are you pulled away to be there in the office. Principals, you don't have to sit in the office waiting for something to happen. Get out there. Spend time in the classrooms. Go be the instructional leader that I know you want to be. Thanks for listening to me. Thanks for joining me this week on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Go out. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.